0: All right, well, welcome over for church. How you feeling this morning? We awake? All right, that that was pretty good. Thank you. I appreciate you. Welcome to everybody joining us online, whether you're there on YouTube, Facebook, or church online, we're glad you're with us today. If you're new or if it's your first time, my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors that gets to serve and lead here. And, And before we jump into our talk for today, man, can we just give a hand for our worship team? That was just such a good time of worship. And Laurent, I don't know where where you went. Oh, he's right back there. Man, I love the fact that, man, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence today, bro. We are praying for you guys over at Blue Roof, and I just love the the symbolism in that. Just like one church, capital C, church, capital K, kingdom working together. So again, thank you for being here with us today. And we are in week two of our series called Under Construction, as you just saw. I love that like pre-teaching bumper video. It's kind of cheesy, but it gets me hyped up. I feel like I'm in like the sports locker room ready. to come out. I don't know. It's just for me. But anyway, so we are in week two, and today is Demo Day. Everybody say Demo Day on the count of three. One, two, three. Demo day. Oh, nice. That was good. Some of you said it like you meant it, like you were really going to do it. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Today is Demo Day, and it's a series called Under Construction for two reasons. One, because as a spiritual family, as a church, we're always under construction, right? Like we're always building in our spiritual walks with God. And as the church goes, Jesus literally said, he's the master architect. He will build his church. And so we're always under construction and we're talking about how we can dig into that a little bit more on the spiritual side of things. But physically... And like, actually, we're under construction. If it's your first time here, it does not normally look like this. Hey, we got rid of that brown carpet, and now we have a brown board. Uh, But it will get better. We are going to be painting, doing some floors. But today is demo day because we wanted to give you guys an opportunity to get your hands dirty, to get involved with what God is doing. I said it last week um, at at this church at Overflow and at the other church I get to pastor down in Kingston, Jamaica, and in the Water's Edge Network, somebody asked me on the way Way in. They were like, what is we? Um, And I was like, it's a word. No, we, um, W-E stands for Water's Edge. That is the network, the family of churches that Overflow is a part of. And, And in Water's Edge, one of the things I teach is we never ask for help. We don't need help in the church of God. Jesus will build his church, and I'll just tell you straight up today, we don't need your help and we don't need your money, but you have an opportunity to change lives for the rest of eternity in being part of a church. So when we put down floors, when we tear up the stage, when we pour coffee, none of that is stuff that, like, I don't like asking for volunteers at church because when people volunteer or, like, help out, it's like I'm doing the church a favor. You ain't doing nobody a favor and neither am I. We get to be a part of the kingdom of God. We get to be a part of changing lives. And I just love it. Like there's something cool when you put out the chairs like the team that put out and clean the chairs. Do you know every chair in here has been prayed over? You know, every chair like because we believe in the spiritual realm, we believe that God moves. And so as we put down the new floors, I challenge the team that's putting it out. Don't just stick it to the tile. Pray over each slat that goes down. That the tears that are going to be shed on that in the years to come would lead to repenting hearts that love Jesus, lives change, marriages reconciled, people released from poverty. Like that's what we get to be a part of. So today, today, right after this service, we'll take like a 10, 15 minute break. Let you change if you need to change it to some work clothes, grab a cup of coffee. We're going to meet right back in here and we're going to get to work. And what I love about this too is like some people you are like, I love volunteering in kids ministry and that's awesome. Some people are like finance team all day. Some people are like singing. But then there's some of us in the church that you're like, man, none of that fits me, right? Like, but we're like, hey, you want to swing a hammer at some stuff and destroy it? And you're like, sign me up. I love the church, right? So today's your day if you've been stressed out to get some stress relief at the least of it, all right? We got some sledgehammer. I thought about making a sermon example of just sledgehammer, just boom, but I didn't want to look like, um, what, Gallagher? Anybody old enough to remember that comedian? We had somebody remember it. That's great. Oh, y'all are like, how old are you? Old enough for that. So, right? Me too. Um, But today we're gonna be kind of bouncing all over the Bible. I'm um, talking about this concept uh, of demolition or rather deconstruction. So if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 John chapter 4, John chapter 13, and Matthew chapter 23. It's like old school Bible drills. You can bounce around with me today. Don't worry if that's a little too much or you don't have a Bible or copy God's word. It will be on the screen. I said Bible drills. Some of you are like, what? Um, I grew up in the church, Southern Baptist. And we had this thing called Bible. Anybody remember Bible drills or sword drills? Hey, I got like three or four of us in here today. Yes. And none of us are younger than the age of 30. Yeah, that shows, yeah, right? Bible drills is like back when you were a kid, they would give you this little blue King James Bible, at least where I was, and you would memorize, we had to memorize all the books of the Bible. We had to memorize certain passages and then we would be tested and drilled on them. And they would be like, you know, John 3, 16. And if you knew it, you had to step out and then they would call And you'd go to like county and state and that yard. like, he it was a dork. But anyways, it got the word of God in my heart. I loved it. And so we're gonna do a little bit of Bible drills today. But, but the concept for today, and this idea of deconstruction, the whole reason we're doing some demolition, the whole reason we're, we're reconstructing some stuff is because we always want to like be leveling up as a church. We always want to be progressing. We talked about it two weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. It says that as Christ followers, we are to consistently and constantly be maturing in our faith. The Christianese word is sanctification right? Sanctification means to be looking more and more like Jesus every day. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus did not say, stay with me. Jesus said, follow me. In other words, the Christian journey, if you're new to church, we believe in this guy named Jesus. We believe he was God's son. We believe he lived perfectly. We'll talk about that in a second. And we follow him and his way of life. It was literally in the first century church. It wasn't called the church. It was called the ecclesia. And the way they would notify people and know if you were in the church is they would say, are you a part of the way? That's what it was called, the way. Isn't that cool? Like, do you follow the way? And people would be like, yeah, I follow the way, the way of Jesus. And so that's what we're about here. It's about leveling up in our walk with Jesus. And when I think about leveling up and really trying to be as great as we can be, like we wanna be a great church, right? How many of us want a great marriage and a great life and a great career, right? Greatness, right? Like, that's okay to want. Like, we want to see God do great things. We want to make a great impact in this city. We want to achieve greatness. But have we ever stopped and asked, what is greatness? And so today, I just want to spend some time deconstructing that word. And, and, and I said this in the first service. I'm just going to kind of go in the deep end today today. Like some, some Sundays, it's like, you know, seven ways to fix your marriage. Don't be selfish. You're welcome. That's a whole marriage sermon. That's it. Yeah. Some of you could leave. You're like, that's the word I needed. Don't be selfish. Right. But today's not that kind of day. Today, I'm just, every now and then I like to cannonball into the deep end of theology. And so we're going to do some of that today. But really, it's out of this mindset of leveling up, of becoming as great as we can be for the glory of God. And when I thought about leveling up, before we jump into the word of God, it reminded me when I was a kid. And um, I'm going to show my age a little bit here. But when I was a kid, we had the original Nintendo. Anybody remember the original Nintendo? You know, you had like two buttons, A and B. <laughs> Up, down, left, right, start, select. That was it. That's all you had. And you know if you are an OG original Nintendo user, if you know about this. Eject. <sighs> Right? It, 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 for some reason that worked. I don't know why. And it's funny, we took that same principle into other areas of life. I remember I got CDs later, you know, and I'd be like, and it's like, that doesn't do anything. You're just scratching it up and wetting it. But, anyways, so like, I used to watch, I was really young when, when we got our first Nintendo, and I have an older sister named Brandy. She's five years older than me, and we got the game Mario. Super Mario Brothers. Like, this is back when it was just like Mario, you know? And Plumber Mario was jumping over the green. Th- and I remember I used to watch Brandy play, and I would get to play every now and then. And my favorite thing was, like, watching Mario level up from level to level, right? You know, he'd go and get his little turtle and turtle shell, and or mushroom. It was a mushroom, right? And then he'd jump over the turtles and he'd grab all the coins. And the whole point was to get to the end of the level to the castle and go to the next level and the next level and the next level and level up. And I was like, oh man, that is awesome. That is great. And that's what we're about in Christianity. That's why we have G3. It's your foundational course. Like we talked about last week, you have to have a solid foundation like Jesus talked about in the book of Matthew. What is our foundation? Salvation and resurrection of Jesus. Salvation and resurrection. If you ever want to know what overflow church is about, we're about Jesus and His Word, the salvation and or the the death and resurrection of Jesus. Specifically the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we're super excited about Easter. Like, did did y'all know like everything we believe hinges on the resurrection? Like everything. Without the resurrection, there's no overflow. There's no water's edge. There's no Bible you know that like it's crazy resurrection is everything we're gonna be talking about that in three weeks that's why we have these invite cards on your seat this is not for you to sit on it's also not for you to move to the side so you can sit down these are for you to pick up and put in your pocket this is what i tell our church um, all the time and this is what i told our staff for the next two three weeks i need you to give the community the finger i need you to give your neighbor the finger not the one you're thinking of this one Tell them, come to church, come to church, come to church, invite, 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 because we really believe God can move and work through an invite. So that's what these are for. Do whatever you can to get them in the hands of people that you know that need Jesus. Easter is a great opportunity. People that never go to church, go to church on Easter, right? You know why? It's because, like, mamas have superpowers, Like moms, like on Easter Sunday, you can ask your family to do whatever you want because it's Easter. Come with me to church and that husband or that son or that girl, your daughter's boyfriend will come with you to church. And we're going to make sure it's a great experience that points to Jesus. So make it rain invites all the next two weeks. All right. You ever wanted to make it rain? Here's your chance. All right. So and the point is we just serve a great God and we want to be great. So thinking about that word greatness today, again, we're just going to kind of go in. I've asked some people preparing for this message, like, what does a great life look like? Like if you were to say, man, my life would be great if I had or this happened, like, what is that? And so I just started asking some people, kind of took a survey, like, what what is great? What is a successful life look like? What does a great life look like? And I, I had straight up somebody say the obvious answer. Somebody was like money, right? Somebody was like, if I had lots of money, that would be great. Can I get amen, right? Y'all know money's not evil, like, right? It's the love of money is, is evil, but like money in itself, like get it, right? Do it. <laughs> like, but somebody was like, that's some of the most applause I've ever heard at Overflow. Now I know. We made it rain and we talked about money all in the first five minutes. People ready. But, but people, I said, what is greatness? What is a great life? Some people are like money, right? And in that same conversation, a buddy of mine like corrected the person and they're like, no, no, it's not just money. A great life is wealth. Because wealth is beyond money. Money is just fiscal. Like Wealth is like not just money. It, it's land. It's resources. It's a business. They're like, oh, that's greatness. If I can have wealth, man, that would be great, right? And I asked some other people, I said, what, what, what would mean a great life? I asked one person, if you could have anything in life, what would it be? What would be success? And they said, man, influence. Man, because money and wealth would come if you have influence. If I had the ability with my words and presence to change the direction and decisions of people's lives, real influence man, that would be great. I was like, ooh, that's not a bad answer. I I wrote it down. Some other people said, man, it would be great if I could travel anywhere and everywhere whenever I wanted. Right? Anybody love to travel? Isn't it fun, right? They're like, dude, a life traveling, that would be great. Some people said, you know, family. Life is all about family. A great life would be having a great family. And I'm like, right on, right on, I got it. And then did you know if you ask um, people 18 and under today, like, what do you want in life? What do you want to be when you grow up? What is greatness? The number one answer statistically is famous. People under 18, the number one answer, they say, I just want to be famous. I just want to be famous. And my response is famous for what? Like, you can't just, right? Um, yay, social media. But, but they just, say, I just want to be famous. I'm like, okay, so, so that's how you equate greatness, right? But then you look at all these things and you're like, do any of these actually equate To greatness, because here's the deal: when I when I survey everything that I ask people, like, "Hey, what would a great life be? If you were really going to be great, what would it look like?" And they said these things. And what I realized is people that say money and wealth, money and wealth for what? What are you going to do with it? Influence for what? How are you going to influence people to what end? Family. For what? What is your family going to be about? What is your family going to do? Famous for what? See, what I realize is many of us define greatness as things that aren't actual destinations. All these things are tools. And we end up worshiping and idolizing the things that God put in our lives to use, not to be used by. And so I just want to take a look at this because we want to be a great church. I want you to have a great life. I want to have a great life. But do we ever stop and ask, what does greatness actually look like? And so like, again, we'll we'll just kind of go deep today. If you're here today, it's probably because you woke up. Maybe you saw the sunrise. Time change. Hello. Um, Some of you are usually at the nine o'clock, but you didn't make it today. It's okay. Glad you're here. glad you're here. I almost didn't make it. (laughs) Um, But like some of us woke up today and we're here today because we believe there's more to life than what we can see. In other words, like you believe this all didn't just happen by accident, like the earth and the stars and you and your lungs and and, and the animals and the tree. Like you believe there's a purpose. In other words, you believe there is a creator. There is a God. And if you don't, I just want to let you know you're welcome to be here today. I'm really glad you're watching online or joining us today and just checking this out. But that is what we believe. We believe that this is not all an accident. We believe that there is a creator that had intention and created us. So if we believe there is a creator and we are creation, you must go no further than your creator to find your purpose. If you create something, the guy that made Nintendo, he made the Nintendo with the purpose of playing the video game, plugging it into a TV and playing it. If you took a Nintendo and you started tossing it back and forth and playing catch with it, the creator would go, that's not what it's for. And so to find our purpose, to find what real greatness is, because real greatness is fulfilling your purpose. When you fully step into your purpose, when you fulfill your purpose, that's when you are truly great. And so what is our purpose well, let's go to the creator. and the Old Testament, if you've ever opened a Bible, the first two-thirds of it is called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. It used to be known as the Law and the Prophets. The whole Old Testament, that's six to 8,000 years of humanity writing down their revelation and their experience with God. They had no question that there was a creator. They had no question that there was a God. And the entire, spoiler alert if you've never read it, the entire Old Testament is just a road sign pointing towards Jesus. You read Genesis to Malachi, and it is all telling you story after story after story that points to the coming Messiah. Because humanity was created with a perfect purpose in utter greatness. Adam and Eve, you can read it in the book of Genesis. Awesome story. It was great. But then what happened? We screwed up. We messed up. We fell into sin. And ever since then, we have been looking for the perfect one. We have been looking for what fulfillment of our purpose for what true greatness looked like. And that was coming in the Messiah. And God loves us so much that he wants us to live great lives, that he wants us to fulfill our purposes. And so he sent what the Bible calls the second Adam. Adam was perfect, and then he fell. And since then, we have been fallen. And so God said, let me show you what the intended purpose looked like. Let me show you what real life looks like. And so he sent the second Adam, otherwise known as the Messiah, otherwise known as today, we call him Jesus. His real name was Yeshua, by the way, which the more accurate translation in English is Joshua. Um, It's always funny when we sing and we're like, there's power in the name of Jesus. I always want to be like, that wasn't his name. Um, (laughs) But it's, that's semantics. It's symbolic. He, we do call him Jesus. And so Jesus came, and God showed us in Jesus what greatness looks like, what it looks like to fulfill our purpose. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus said some crazy stuff. Like when he started opening his mouth and talking, like stuff that nobody had ever said before came out of his mouth. You know what I mean? Like when somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. That had never been said before. Change the world. Like the entire civil rights m- movement was based on that passage. Martin Luther King went right back to that. Like, it- it's just amazing. Like, he, he-, he said, you know, like, like Jesus was one of the first people to say, um, women aren't property. Like, if I was a lady, that's one of the number one reasons I would be a Christ follower. Like, thanks, bro. <laughs> right? Can I get an amen, ladies? Right? Like he was one of the first to say, like, men and women are equal, slave nor free. Like that that all kind of came from the heartbeat of Jesus. And then Jesus had the audacity while he was walking this planet to define our purpose. He took everything in the law and the prophets. He took the entire Ten Commandments, the hundreds of Levitical laws. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that was good. And it's had its purpose. But let me sum it all up in two statements. I'm going to tell you why you are here in two statements. Every day when you wake up and you go, what am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here? I'm going to answer it for you right now. If you've ever gotten to that place in your life, I have, where I'm like, God, what's my purpose? What am I doing here? I came from a deep place (laughs) saying that. Um, Jesus answered it. He said this. He said, let me sum up all the law, everything in two statements. Love God, love people. Love God and love people. That's it. If you want to be great, if you want to know why you're here, love God, love people. Some people want to talk theology with me sometimes. They're like, Romans chapter 8, Calvinism versus Arminianism. I'm like, dude, I'll chop it up with you all day long, but I'm still working on love God, love people. Like, I'm still working on that. And, And here, like... And that was crazy, like for Jesus to say, hey, I know Moses said this and I know the prophet said this, but let me simplify it. Let me distill it down. Your ultimate purpose. True greatness looks like this. Love God, love people. I used to travel with a a Christian production company, and we put on, like, large-scale Christian concerts and camps and stuff. And we had a professional acting company, like a drama company, that traveled with us. And I'm not talking, like, old-school, like, church drama. I mean, these guys were pros. One of them that I used to travel with um, has won an Academy Award. A few of them were in Netflix movies. Like, these guys were professional actors. And the acting company's name was LGLP. And I never forget. we all wore shirts that said LGLP, LGLP, and it stood for love God, love people. And everything we did on the stage, we wanted to point people to that truth, love God love people. And so today when we go, man, what does greatness look like? Love God, love people. And that sounds awesome, right? Like, yeah. woo! Love God, love people. But have you ever gone, what does that mean? Like, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? We say stuff in church all the time, right? I said it a few weeks ago. You're going through a tough time. Somebody comes up to you and they're like, just have faith. And you're like, yeah, faith, the faith, the faith, the faith, faith. And then you walk away and you're like, what does that look like? Somebody tell me, so we're going to just dig in. What does love, God, love people look like? Well, let's go to that first two words, love God. It raises two questions. What is love and who is God? What is love and who is God? Because we say love a lot, right? I love pancakes. I love this Netflix show. I love my wife, right? How many of us know those are different types of love? <laughs> if I love my wife the way I love pancakes, we got issues, Because there's different definitions and different types of love. So what does it mean to love God? Well, the Bible defines love for us. One of the best definitions of love. We hear it at every wedding. I officiate a lot of weddings as a pastor, and everybody always wants this passage read. It's a great, it's not a wedding passage. It's just a life passage. Um, In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, y'all know where I'm going with this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he gives a phenomenal definition of love. And at weddings, we say this. And it says, love is, so here's a great definition of love from the Bible. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's so good. That's so good. And we read that at weddings and it's like, I love you like that, right? So he would just be, if you don't love like that, do you really love? If that's the definition of love? Here's a convicting thing to do. Every time it says the word love, replace it with your name and see how you feel. Corey is patient. I have to stop right there. Right? Corey is kind. Corey does not envy or boast. I am failing at love. Just put your name in. See how you're doing with love. And we say this and we're like, man, now when we say I love, like, do you love people? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your kids? Are you pa- And so then we take it back to our fulfillment of our purpose. Love God, love people. So it would mean to do these things towards God. Okay? So okay, so um, be patient with God. Are we? right? Be patient with God. Be kind towards him. Don't envy anything he's doing or boast about anything in your own life. Do not be arrogant or rude towards God. Don't insist on your own way with God. That's convicting to me. Don't be irritable or resentful. Don't be resentful. How many of us have resented something that's happened in our life? We blamed it on God. May not be loving him in that way. I'm not saying you can't be real with God. I'm not saying you can't be true. Read the Psalms. David was like that. But at the end of all those complaining and mean and and angry Psalms, he would always say, But you are good. But you are king. But you are on your throne. He would come back to good truth. We don't rejoice in wrongdoing, but we rejoice in the truth of God. If we love God, we bear all things. We believe all things about him. We hope in him and we endure all things because we know in the end his love never ends. And so we never end in our worship and adoration and love for him. That's what it means to love God. But then the Bible goes even deeper. The Bible gives us an even simpler definition of love. In the book of 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, it gives us a one word definition of love. The absolute best definition of love you will ever hear in your life. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. God is. It doesn't say God does love. It doesn't say God shows us love. It says God is love. That means God is the essence, the epitome, the origin of love itself. So then take it back to our purpose statement. If we want to live great lives, if we want to fulfill our purpose, then we love God, love people. Well, God is love. So if God is love, how do you love love? If he's the essence of love, how can you ever even like, how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, I thought about it this way. Like, think of the sun, like S-U-N. How can I be the sun to the sun? I am not a sphere of fusion and heat and light. That is not who I am. There's nothing in that that is me. The only way I can be the sun to the sun is to reflect it. Back at it. Is to hold up a mirror and go, I am not that at all. That is all you. You are the origin of it. I am not a star. You are. And so I will just reflect you to the best of my ability. That is how we love God. In our essence, we are not love, but he is. So the best way to love God, to fulfill half of your purpose, to be great, is to reflect him back at him. This is so deep, guys. That's why in the book of Genesis chapter 1, when God created Adam, it said man was made in the image of God. We were always meant to be image bearers of God, to just reflect love. And then Jesus says, the second is like the first. In other words, the second half of the equation is equal to the first half. Love God, reflect love back at love, be these things towards God, do all. That's why we worship. That's, we're just trying to wrap up in God's love. Just trying to, that's why we read the Bible, because we want to know more about love itself, right? But then it says your full purpose, real greatness, is to love God and love people. And we're like, but people are difficult, <laughs> right? Jesus, hey, that, that's some applause right there. We're like, yes, they are. You preaching truth, right? Because we are. We are. We we are difficult, Right? But but here's the Jesus actually took it a step further, and he said the way you treat people, not not the people you like, the way you treat all people, is the way you treat God. Some of us just need to go apologize (laughs) this afternoon, right? We just need to pick up the phone. I'm sorry. I didn't mean what I said last night. I shouldn't have texted that. I love you, right? Like some. Jesus said, purpose, greatness, love God, love people, okay? So how do you love people? I think we know who people are. I don't have to get too deep into that. But again, we've defined love. Love is God. God is love. We are not love. God is love. So the only way to really love people is to show them God, is to show them the essence, the epitome, the source of all love. Begs the question then, can you actually love somebody if you don't know God? You don't know love itself, by the definition. And then that means the number one way to love somebody is to show them as much of God as possible. The number one way to love your spouse it's to look as much like Jesus as possible. It's to show them as much of God as possible. Like we love this community. We love it in Harbor. We love St. Joe. We love Southwest Michigan. What that means is we just want to show them as much of God as possible. Not in a forceful way. Not in an angry way. Not in a sign you're going to hell kind of way. That's not love. That's not love. In a hey, we're here for you. Because he was here for us. He loves us. So we love you. Love God, love people. But then Jesus said an even more audacious thing. Like, I mean, he said like crazy stuff, right? He walked around for three years. I told you, he said, he told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, that's an insane statement. And then they killed him. You cannot kill the resurrection and life. That's why when he died, nobody believed in him. I don't know if you know that. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, there was no Christianity. There was no Bible. There was no church. It was done. When Joseph of Arimathea took him off the cross, there was no believers. The disciples, his closest followers, scattered. They were trying to figure out how to stay alive because the the guy that they were following, they thought was a liar. He said, I'm the resurrection and life. You shouldn't be able to kill the resurrection and the life. But then the resurrection and the life resurrected back to life. And it changed everything. Literally, that's why we're in year 2021, because Jesus split time in half with his mere presence. And then Jesus, when he came back to life, he said something even crazier. He said, yo, hey, the entire law on the prophets, the hundreds of Levitical laws and the Ten Commandments, and even the two that I gave you, now that I have come back to life, he says in John 13:34, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. In other words, your entire purpose on this planet, what greatness really looks like is to love people the way Jesus loved us. That's the bar. So if you wake up in a day and you go, what am I supposed to do today? Love people the way Jesus did. Hey, what am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go to college? What job am I supposed to take? Whatever enables you to love people the way Jesus did the most. That's, that's what you do. But how did Jesus love? Right? Like you have, that's why we read the Bible, guys. We don't read the Bible because it's the Bible. Our faith is not based on a book. Our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible teaches us about how Jesus lived so that way we can model our lives after him and step into a, the fulfillment of our purpose, ultimately greatness great lies. And so you ask the question, how did Jesus love? That's why we read it. Matthew wrote it down so we would know. Mark wrote it down. John wrote it down. Luke wrote it down. Peter wrote it down. Paul. That's kind of a song. We should do that. But yeah, I don't know why I started getting a rhythm on that. It just kind of worked. And these guys wrote this down. And what did they write down? Well, there was this one hot middle Eastern day. Yeshua was rolling around with his 12 boys. And uh, these are grown men. And this is before like modern day soap and deodorant. This is before Nikes and Adidas, so they're walking around in sandals on dusty Middle Eastern hot roads. And at the end of the day, they come to a house. And this isn't like at a wedding, you know, where you have like the porcelain white jar of water and the nice white cloth, and and she takes off her nice high heel. or he Like my wife did that. It was beautiful. It was great. You know, foot washing at weddings and all that, but that's not the way it went down. Jesus, after all these grown men walking around all day sweaty and smelly, he, he knelt down himself on dirt floors and he grabbed Peter's foot. Peter's foot that was dirty, sand, dirt up under the toenails and calluses on the heels. And he took that foot and he got some water and he washed all the dirt off, got all the dirt under the nails. He washed his foot and then he picked up the left one it did that one. And then when he was done with Peter, he moved over to Mark. Foot by foot, disciple by disciple, he washed 12 feet. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the universe. He said, oh, you want to know what greatness looks like? You want to know what the fulfillment of your purpose looks like? Love people the way I did. I don't know about you, but that's convicting. I, like, I wash people's feet and push, but like, t- and he did that. And then he took it further. Like, we, we ended up hating him. His own people and the government killed him. You know why they killed him? Because he was too good. He made us look bad. We killed him out of envy, jealousy, and pride. But in the act of killing him, they cussed at him, they spit on him, literally betraying him before his eyes. They stabbed him and hung him on some wood. And in the middle of all that, he looked at him and said, I forgive you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he looks at us and says, you want to know what your purpose is, what greatness looks like? Just love people the way I did. Do we have that ability? To, when people look at us and cuss us out and do us wrong and betray us in life, do we have the ability to look back at them eye to eye and say, I totally, completely forgive you, and I actually wish the, wish the best for you? That let, let, Let's be real, overflow. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's why the Christian faith changed the world, not because we had lights and sound and potlucks and Bible studies, but because we looked at our enemies and said, I love you anyway, and I want the best for you. And they look back at us and go, how could you do that? And we say, because we were enemies of God and he loved us and he showed us that. So we go, what does greatness look like? Well, you look no further than the fulfillment of your purpose. And to find your purpose, you need to ask the creator. And the creator, God, said, let me show you. Let me model for you what greatness looks like, what the fulfillment of your purpose looks like. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus sweat. Jesus bled. Jesus laughed. Jesus cried. Jesus got dirty. Jesus got clean. He hung out with people. He ate. He was a real person. What does that tell us? Your emotions do not take you out of your purpose. Your experiences do not negate your purpose. All of that is part of the adventure of walking into greatness if we follow Jesus and his way of living. So again, it just begs the question, what is greatness? What does it really look like? It looks like loving people the way Jesus loved them. And Jesus said one more thing in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. He defined greatness for us. You want to live a great life. Jesus said, the greatest, the greatest person in Benton Harbor, the greatest person in Michigan, the greatest person in the United States of America, the greatest person in the world, the greatest person among you will be your servant. Every day, every day, if we want to be great, Look no further than your next opportunity to serve your fellow human. That is what loving like Jesus looks like. Who should you marry? Whoever enables you to serve more people. What job should you take? Whatever job enables you to serve the most amount of people possible. Now here's the deal. Go back to what most people qualify as greatness. Money, wealth, fame, influence, family, all those things are great. Get as mu- make as much money as you can to serve as many people as you can. Get as much influence as you can to serve as many people as you can. And when we fully step into that lifestyle, when overflow is just about serving as best we can, that's when we step into greatness. That's when we feel fulfillment. It's like this. Guys, you can come on back up, band. You can, we're going to finish this out with one more song. But I thought of it this way. like, I'm all about a good vacation. Anybody like a good vacation? right? So let's say, just hypothetically, you save up for a few months, and you buy yourself a seven-day European cruise, right? Like, not right now, COVID, but like pre-COVID or post-COVID, right? You know, like when it, when it would be good. And you go on that cruise, right? And it's amazing. You go on the cruise, you see amazing sights, you eat and drink, all you want to eat and drink, you hear the concerts, you have a great vacation. That's awesome for it. Now imagine it a different way. Imagine you save up a little bit longer. You go on the same cruise, but you save up a little bit more and you find a family that can never afford that cruise and you bless them with it too. Then they go on the cruise and while they're on the cruise and you're there, You just find little ways to bless them every day. And we'll pay for this excursion. They don't even know it. And we'll get them this gift. They don't even know it. You come back off that vacation. Which one is a better trip? Which one is a better vacation? The one that was all about you? Or the one where you serve someone? We all know the answer. It's always better when we're helping people. I have have never heard anybody say their life was changed on a vacation. But I have heard people say their life was changed on a mission trip. Now both... Both cost money, both cost money, both involve travel, but one is all about our pleasure and the other is about serving people. It's as if Jesus knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Surprise. The creator of all things and purpose actually knew what he was talking about. And again, I'm not anti-vacation. Lord knows, God, I would love one. <laughs> like Sabbath, rest. That's not that, That's not the point of the sermon. Don't walk out of here and be like, I can't take another vacation without bringing a family and I'm never going to be... Nah, it's, point this, if we want to be great, if we want to lead great lives, if we want to love God, love people, if we want to love people like Jesus, look no further than your next opportunity to serve. It takes me back to Mario. Some of you are like, really? You're about to end this message with Mario Brothers. Roll with me. I used to love watching my sister play Mario, Right? Mario would hit the mushroom. He'd jump over the turtles. He'd gather all the coins and resources he could. He would battle evil Bowser. And I used to think the whole point was to level up and level up and level up. And the further the levels you got, the greater it got. And I thought the whole point, the great part of the game was that you go from level to level and place to place. And that's great. And then I realized that's not the point of the game. The entire point of Mario was to save the princess. The whole point of leveling up, the whole point of avoiding and drum and getting through obstacles, the whole point of gathering the coins and resources was just to serve someone. There's some good theology in Mario. Church, may we be that way. Gather all the coins you can. Make all the money you can. Get through every obstacle that comes your way. Level up as much as possible. Grow in your walk with God and in faith. Know the Bible. Grow the church. Step into leadership. Like do all of that. But as we level up, remember it actually means we kneel down. It actually just means that we, every level is just another another scale of our eyes reminding us that, that you're a reflection of God. And you're a reflection of God. And you're a reflection of God. And he has loved me so well. How could I not just love you and serve you? And so like that, that's why we're doing the construction. That's why we're doing the demo. It's just so that we can serve, serve the community better, serve each other better, and ultimately serve and love God better. So in light of that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thanks for showing us what real purpose looks like, what real greatness looks like. Jesus, if anyone deserved to be on a throne, it's you. And you knelt down and you washed feet. And when you were bleeding, you forgave us. And even when you came back and conquered, Jesus, instead of punishing us, you just pointed to greatness and forgiveness and true fulfillment. Father, I just pray that we would be that kind of church. God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that looks to serve, serve each other, to serve this community. God, and for all of us listening today, Lord, I pray that there would be a level of conviction, but I pray, God, that there would be a level of encouragement. Because like you said in your word, God, sometimes it seems impossible. It feels so hard. Will you remind us in the Matthew 28 that you are always with us. God, we just acknowledge the only way we can do it is in and through you. So today, Jesus, we just pray as we finish out this time together that you would pour out your love some more on us, God, and that we would reflect that to you and those around us. And even God, I just pray as we're demolishing this stage as we're doing, you know, tearing up floors and stuff, God, that you would just allow us to grow in serving and love that every opportunity would be a chance to look more like you and step more and more into our purpose and greatness. And, Father, we just acknowledge that we can do it all because you are with us. When life heats up, there's another in the fire, God. When the waters are in front of us, God, you're the one that parts them. Like, you're the one that does it all. And we just acknowledge that. We're grateful for it. We thank you for it. And it's in your name we pray and worship. Amen. Amen.